What's up, world? I'm Matt Newberg from Hungary, and this is The Feed. Each episode, we'll dive into conversations with the industry insiders who are leveraging technology to shape the way we eat. On today's episode of The Feed, I sat down with Dante DeChico, founder and CEO of Ziti, a company on a mission to bring radical transparency to the $300 billion wholesale restaurant industry while streamlining vendor payments for operators. In this episode, we'll talk about the current inefficiencies of pen and paper restaurant procurement, the competitive landscape of back of house technology companies, and the massive opportunity to create a comprehensive inventory ordering and accounts payable solution for small and medium sized restaurants. This podcast is brought to you by Hungry, a media and research platform dedicated to the intersection of food and technology. For more information, please visit Hungry.tv, that's Hungry with no U, and click subscribe to join the weekly newsletter. All right, Dante, it's been, it's awesome to have you here. Really excited to dig into ZD. Great name, by the way. Oh, thank um, you. I keep thinking about the Ghostface killer line about ZD. Right? I don't remember it exactly, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's talk about your background. Really fascinating. You started in finance, moved over to Snap, um, led a big team there. And then you got into your family's pizzeria called De Chico's na- after your last name. Yep. In Fresno, California. Uh, I love these stories. So I want to definitely spend some time going into that and like kind of how that kind of sparked that idea for ZD. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> little bit of, so kind of like the, got like the personal background, the professional background in starting ZD was really the convergence of all that. So on a personal level, my, uh, my father's family are Italian immigrants. We're from a very small mountain village, uh, in Abruzzo called Pacentro. Uh, still go there every summer. My sister's getting married there in, in September. Parli Italiano? Un poco. Parlo okay. un poco Italiano. Un po- okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so they found their way to Fresno, California, Central California, opened uh, the first De Chico's Italian restaurant in 1956. There since, um, over the years, probably been about 20 restaurants open in our across our extended family. Most of them are called De Chico's, but some folks have branched out and opened other, other concepts, and most of them are in Central California as well. So I grew up from ages zero to like 18 when I left for college in the restaurant all the time. Uh, my dad still goes is in the restaurant uh, to this. I actually talked to him on the way over here, and he was in the restaurant when I was talking to him. So uh, very much a deeply ingrained part of my and my siblings' life, uh, my cousin's um, grew up working in there from as early as like age 10 or, or something like that. Um, then went to undergrad at Stanford, uh, was, uh, first, uh, my dad's line of family to, uh, graduate from college. And, and then after college ended up doing investment banking in New York for four years. But some of my buddies from college were starting at the time, a little known social media app (laughs) called Snapchat. And in early 2015, Snapchat was just fresh off of uh, turning down the Facebook offer uh, for $3 billion. Um, and it was really exciting that they did that. It showed how much faith that Evan and Bobby had in the company, but then also they needed to build a business and start generating revenue. So they were starting to build out and round out their business team. They hired uh, the former global head of tech banking at Credit Suisse to come and be the chief strategy officer at Snap. And it was at that time where I was working at BlackRock and Evan, the CEO, connected me with the new chief strategy officer. I became one of his first hires, started out in corporate strategy, early business hire at Snap in early 2015. That started a seven-year journey of doing many things throughout the company. I um, felt like my, my role almost ended up being being the 
only person at the company doing uh, a new function. And then once that function got traction, built an entire global team around that. So uh, started out doing media partnerships in the US, then ended up leading international growth for our ad business, worked on the IPO, um, you know, definitely a, a roller coaster in the best of yeah, ways. It's a wild ride. Over that time. But then totally separately back at home, there had not been a new to Chico's Italian restaurant open <clears throat> in about 25 years. And I felt very strongly in carrying on the family's legacy. And Fresno uh, is, you know, it's, it's not the most well-known city in California, but it is booming. Um, there's just farmland everywhere. And, you know, in, in the Bay Area and Southern California, land is limited. And in Fresno, it's just in uh, abundance. So uh, a lot of new areas and pockets popping up. And so my dad always said to me, if I were ever to open a new location, if it would be in <laughs> this area, right? And that was kind of like a mm -hmm. little bug he kind of planted in my mm -hmm. ear for a couple of years. And then finally in 2019, my later years at Snap, I decided to uh, to do that as a, as a side project. Not, just it. a small little side project. So you're project. still at Snap at this time? Yes. Okay. Uh, I was at Snap until the end of 2021. So okay. uh, in 2019, I so I went in, I was the sole financer and developer of a new DeChico's Italian restaurant. Okay. We built the building from scratch and wow. really... My, you know, my and my family's vision for it was same exact menu as the other restaurants. Stick with what works. There's a lot of brand recognition in town for DeChico's, but wanted the actual building and experience to be more modern. So mm -hmm. you still have the red and white checkered tablecloth. Love it. But it feels a little bit more like you're in maybe on Abbott Kinney or up in oh. Santana Row in San Jose or something like that. So kind of mixing the okay. old school with the new school. Okay. Um, COVID happened in between all that, right? Because oh, wow. I started in 2019. So that became a little mini roller coaster in and of itself. And, you know, it's one thing when your parents are running a restaurant and you have all these ideas of how to do things differently and you're voicing it to them, but it's ultimately their decision to make. It's another thing when it's your right. own spot, right? Yeah. And my family members were helping me out and getting it going. But, um, you know, I ultimately could exert some creative control there. So mm -hmm. I was looking at our tech stack and i say tech stack is a generous way to put <laughs> all the uh piles of paper invoices and physical checks that are being written and so at first i was a bit surprised blown away at how little tech there was on the back of house because you know i'm coming at it from a tech mindset and I'm more like this is literally how the business is run like the the food in the front of house is <clears throat> that's the consumer side that's kind of the sexy side of the restaurant business but how the business actually run operations mm. on the back of house yeah. there was no tech there whether it's on the front of house you were using a pos system we're using all the delivery apps you've got the digital you know open table resi all that yeah. stuff so first the first thing that caught my attention was the lack of technology and i was getting quite annoyed by that in my journey of opening my own then um we started looking at okay who are our food suppliers, mm -hmm. right? Who, who is actually delivering the food to our doorstep? And this was all a new you know, experience for me. And I'm like, okay, we're, as a restaurant, we're buying from distributors. Distributors are ultimately buying from the end suppliers or manufacturers of the food. And then we're looking and seeing that the exact same food products carried by multiple distributors can vary in price wildly. And so if you're not paying close to 10, like we're talking like potentially 50% or more. So if you're not for the same case of Sam Arts on tomatoes or something like that. So if you're not closely yeah. monitoring that and optimizing that, you're leaving a lot of money on the table in an already Absolutely. thin margin business. So that kind of combination of experiences of frustration with lack of tech and then also feeling like there was a bit of lack of transparency and lack of fairness in how food was priced mm. um, 
you know, that as a steady drip over two years really inspired me mm-hmm. to leave Snap and, and start ZD and really try to solve this problem for the industry. Amazing. Love it. I love that you really cut your teeth in this and, and found the problem like, like a true entrepreneur. Yeah. A lot of people parachute into this um, f- funny world of food tech with thinking with this tech mindset and there's, and it, it's helpful to have like a fresh perspective, but they have no like operational experience working in a restaurant, you know? Right. Um, so it's, it's refreshing to get, I love these stories where, you know, people have like somehow stumbled onto into this food tech world via, via the traditional, you know, restaurant route. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, there's <clears throat> almost a million restaurants in the United States. So it's just unbelievably diverse. Yeah. No two restaurant groups are the same. So it's while there's, similar themes that resonate throughout the industry. Um, it, it is, that's when you're building your own company around it, then it's like, okay, now we got to, you know, identify the different types of restaurants, restaurants, different types of company, uh, companies. How is this same problem affecting different restaurant groups in, in different ways and, and looking to solve around that? Awesome. Love the modern red sauce. I'm a huge red sauce guy. We yeah. Can talk, talk about that. It's red <laughs> sauce is the core ingredient in literally everything. So love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's going through my veins. Yeah, right absolutely. Now. <laughs> um, okay. So let's talk about the problem. Let's dive into, you know, invoicing, um, managing food costs, inventory. How has this problem evolved over time with pen and paper? And let's just like kind of talk about some of the big challenges with the lack of tech in the back of house. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> the, the initial thing, like I mentioned, the initial thing that caught, caught my eye was the, was the lack of tech there. And so we were spending a lot of time fielding paper invoices from all these suppliers and distributors. Um, some of them, you know, you have your Cisco's and US Foods, the bigger folks use more modern tools they're right. sending you an invoice EDI. over, yeah, EDI sending you the invoices right. over PDF. They have digital, like ACH withdrawals and stuff like that. But then a lot of the smaller folks, um, you know, your local produce supplier, or cheese supplier, right. something like that, is giving you a physical piece of paper and expecting you to write a paper check back. So even if you have some of the bigger folks doing things in a more modern right. way, if you have ten to twelve supplier partners mm-hmm. and only three or four are doing things in a modern way, you're still spending all that time doing all that manual Absolutely. work. So the need for a universal payment system to consolidate everything in the cloud and just right. streamline everything was the first thing we wanted to tackle. And I really felt that, okay, this is such a massive problem to get our arms around this problem. We need to consolidate everything, consolidate all this information yeah digitize it, which is a clear time saver for the restaurant. But then in doing that, we're going to get a lot of valuable data in exchange for that. Mm. And then we can look and, and see, you know, how can we take the next step in solving the problem in a more deeper way by saving them money on top of saving mm. them time. Uh, and so that, that was what really inspired um, ZD's order guide product because we were um, running payments, saving these guys a lot of time. Right. And we, ha- we were sitting on a trove of invoice data and that's when we were seeing these trends of, um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, like the exact same case of avocados right. or type of provolone cheese or even just something as commoditized as, right. as lettuce or olive oil or something like that with the, made by the same brand, mm-hmm. very in price just wildly from invoice to invoice. And so we then started doing some discovery, talking to restaurant operators and asking them, well, how do you, how do you solve for this? And, and answers we got were either 
I don't solve for it. I just, I kind of know I'm getting hosed on price, <laughs> but I just uh, don't have the time to put into it. Or other folks are more like, no, I literally take two hours on a Sunday away from my family to sit down and try to price compare on spreadsheets or something mm. like that, um, which, which has limited you know ability to help because um, if you're dealing with hundreds of products for your restaurant, how many can you realistically do in, in one sitting? Right. And prices are also dynamically changing every single day. So just doing it every single Sunday right. may not necessarily have the impact you need it to have if you're ordering yeah. on Thursday. And you're not going to necessarily see all the distributors. You're only like maybe price shopping one or two other ones probably. Exactly. Exactly. So that kind of that, that journey of kind of having our, our initial wedge in of like, let's help to digitize this back of house mm -hmm. process. And then the insights we gain from that allowed us to do some more discovery. Of course, mm -hmm. having um, multiple Dechico's Italian restaurant locations as the first users of ZD was tremendously helpful because we got to test everything on them. Right. right? A lot of the things that uh, some of our customers today are, are seeing uh, were born in a much more uh, rough uh, duct taped together way uh, yeah. by DeChico's first, and we kind of perfected yeah. it there. You dog fooded. Yes, own, absolutely. absolutely. Your own ZD. Yes, <laughs> precisely. <laughs> Love it. Okay, so let's let's hear like the official pitch. Like, you have these two products. You started with payments. Now you have order guides as well. Yeah, just give us like the simple pitch that you go into to operators with, and you know, talk about those two products and, and what they solve for. Yeah, so <clears throat> the very simple message to an operator is we can help you reduce your food costs substantially by comparing and optimizing your food right. prices. It's that's, that's the primary that's hook. the primary it's three percent of your three percent of your food costs minimum, minimum. right? Um, and that is just it's just we just keep it very simple, very high level on that side. Who There's can a, say no to that? Exactly. There's obviously a lot of details to dig into that on on how it's executed, and we want to tailor around their business, but. Uh, on the highest of level, we keep it very simple, saying we could help save 3% of your food costs, likely more, uh, by helping you to price compare. And then when you go a level deeper, well, how does that work? Well, we then take inventory of all your food products. So let's say you're, um, you know, uh, Matt's, uh, Matt's Deli in LA, right? And you have a pretty robust menu. You do a bunch of different sandwiches and you offer some cool sides and stuff. And so let's say you have 100 food products that you're buying on a, on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. And let's say you're placing three different orders a week. So we would take all those 100 products, line them up. Then each distributor that you could be working with, so let's say you're working with five distributors, each one of those could call the exact same product something different, <laughs> right? So the same type of provolone cheese made by the same manufacturer mm. will have a completely different name or nomenclature from distributor to distributor. So we have a database on the back end that's essentially connecting all those. A many and to one. Many exactly. To, so, many you get, many. so you basically have to build your own ZD product catalog and then you got to connect those wow. there. And so, and then some distributors may uh, define a case as two pounds. Other may define a case yeah. as two and a half pounds. Other may define a case as three pounds. So there's a lot of uh, uh, conversions you have to do there. And then, and then ultimately, the the UI UX needs to be good because uh, you know a restaurant operator doesn't have time to be going through something that's overly complicated. So we need to take all that information, distill it down into a super easy to use way. The prices we provide restaurants are all in real time. So when they're looking at the ZD order guide, they know exactly where prices are at across distributors for the mm -hmm. products they're ordering in that moment. Mm -hmm. We've sensed as we've kind of 
gotten bigger and gotten more customers, um, I've started to provide market pricing as well. So not just surfacing a restaurant's own pricing back to them, but taking market averages and benchmarks of other suppliers and distributors in their geo that they may not be working with so they can kind of shop around on ZD without actually shopping around. Um, which, which is, you know, provides a tremendous competitive advantage for, for the restaurant there. So you're seeing the differences in, in the individual distributor chain, price changes plus the competitive information. Yeah, that's exactly, correct? exactly. Got it. And that's just looking at order guides. You also have this. <clears throat> and then the payment product. side of the product too. <clears throat> so then when the restaurant actually gets the invoice from the distributor, yeah. it automatically goes right into our system. Okay. We part, we use a little bit of AI to parse all that data. We then tee up a digital bill and it's uh, it's mobile, and it's we say it's as easy as paying your friends on Venmo. You're just like clicking a button and, and go to like every single one of your suppliers and distributors. Right. We'll also cut physical checks on the restaurant's behalf. Oh wow! So they don't have to worry about oh well, like these uh, five distributors want to receive digital payment. These other five uh, are saying mm-hmm. I need to receive a physical check on ZD. It's just right. the exact same experience. We do all the kind of heavy lifting for them on on the back end. Amazing. So how does like so you would just send an email address for the receipt for the invoices that are like digital and then like what do you do for like manual invoicing? It, it, invoicing? So basically, we would say we would just generate a custom email address for you. So it'd be like uh, Matt's Deli one two three four five six seven at you know app.zd.com. Yeah. And so anytime you receive an invoice from anybody, right. you would just attach that email address on CC. Okay. It gets sent to you uh, automatically. Okay. Uploads into our system, and okay. then we parse all the data, and then we tee up a bill for you. Okay. So if you um, you could also uh, if you're receiving a physical piece of paper, it's not right. via email. You could take a photo on your phone. Uh, okay. So it goes into Z, opens up to the camera, and you can just snap right there. So. Uh, or you can just upload it in the in the app uh, in the web app as well. So we kind of have multiple different entry points. The goal is to make it as easy as possible to get everything in one place. Yeah. And then that invoice, those invoices, save you a lot of time in making payments. They also give us even more data to inform the order guides, get those sharper, get better market pricing, et cetera. So it kind of all feeds on itself. Very interesting. Um, how many distributors do you think, like on average, your customers are working with? Um, <clears throat> say the average restaurant works with seven to 10. That's a lot. Yeah. They could come at, now a distributor would define as anyone with a truck. So there's approximately 15 to 16,000 distributors in the U S about 50% of market share. Those controlled by eight. So you have the eight big, like national yeah. broadline in a $300 billion industry. So you have, uh, the yeah. eight controlling, you know, on a national level, but then you'll have regional, we call it regional broadliners. So mm-hmm. those are kind of like a, a Cisco of California or Cisco mm-hmm. of the Mid-Atlantic or something like that that carry a, you know, a fairly similar, if not identical, product catalog there. Mm-hmm. But then you'll have your specialty suppliers. Like yeah. some, you know, there'll be specialty meat suppliers, especially right. fish ones. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of cool. We've seen for Mexican restaurants, there's specialty distributors that ca- uh, cater just to that. For, um, uh, you know, Asian restaurants, sushi spots, there's some mm-hmm. distributors that cater just to that. So uh, Greek restaurants as well, right? So you kind of have like these, like the, yeah. the massive regional, uh, massive national ones, then you mm-hmm. have your regional ones, and then you have your your more local specialty ones. Um, so for us kind of to, to create a, a universal uh, product system on our side with inputs from all those folks, it's a non-trivial exercise. I mean, I'm envisioning a whole new network here. You're mapping. Yes, absolutely. It's a lot Very of fun. Cool. Yeah, yeah. That's where the the tech background side becomes really yeah. fun, right? You can, you kind of got to mix uh, the you know that 
empathy for the end user and really right. having your, your ear to the ground on like what exactly they need and then designing the, the front end experience as very simple, user-friendly, something that's also restaurant mm-hmm. owners are on their feet all day long. So um, it's gotta be mobile first. That's absolutely essential. Right. Coming from Snapchat, that proved helpful because we're mobile only, basically. Vertical um, video. Exactly, <laughs> vertical video. Uh, 3V, back back in the days, we called it vertical video views. Uh, but then on the back end, that's where it's, uh, yeah, it's all, it's all tech. It's a lot of database work. Sounds fun. Yeah. So who's the ideal like, customer on the restaurant side? Like, what, what is the ideal swath of the restaurant industry you're going after? So on, the, on a high level, the ideal swath is any restaurant that's trying to reduce their food costs. Uh, everyone's going to raise their hand. Everyone's going to raise their hand. Then you kind of drill deeper. And so, you know, in the industry, any restaurant group that is about in the 20 to 30 locations or less mm-hmm. is considered street business. Anything larger than that, probably 30 to 60 up to 100 is considered an emerging chain. And then over 100 is when you start getting into to, to bigger chains. So from street business on down, you have this dynamic where they don't really have a supply chain team focused on this. So Chipotle, for example, has a 100-person supply chain team fully focused on negotiating manufacturer deals, negotiating distributor deals, and optimizing price. Fascinating. Yeah, but then you have some of these 20 to 30-unit restaurant groups that do maybe $100 in sales a year across the group don't have that effort, or there may be one person sitting in a cubicle somewhere. Right. So they're, although they may be very well resourced on the consumer facing side, they're very under resourced on that side of things. So that's where we view our white spaces right now is nobody out there is doing exactly what we're doing with with real time price comparisons. Right. And then two, we're filling a gap for these restaurant groups because they don't have someone dedicated to that. So if you're looking at, Mm -hmm. um, well, ZD's monthly fee is $160 a month. Well, Mm -hmm. uh, how does that compare to? employing a full-time person or multiple people yeah. doing that. We view eventually as we get, you know, more customers, we get more automated, mm-hmm. we have more insights and, and build more of the fancy bells and whistles. Then you can start to automate a lot of what supply chain teams do for the larger groups. That's what kind of view is down the road. But right now that sweet spot is kind of street business. And who would you say is this end consumer? Who is like the one guy, if that guy exists that you're selling to, and then if they don't have that guy, I'm assuming you're dealing with the owner, the owner operator themselves. Right? Yeah, so it really depends on the size of the group. Typically, it's a combination of the uh, owner, general manager, and kitchen uh, manager. So the kitchen manager, usually the person who all the um, the the chefs or the cooks who in the back, everyone who they report to, is usually the person in charge of ordering for the restaurant group. Okay. Um, because there is a financial component to that person's job as well, right? They're they're overseeing the kitchen operations, but given that food is like tied for the biggest costs along with labor, um, there's financial accountability to that role as well. So even if uh, you know the ZD team is initially talking to the owner, the general manager, in terms of them wanting to implement ZD in their restaurant group, the kitchen manager is usually the one with their uh, you know, proverbial hands-on keyboard uh, actually placing the orders. So they're the ones actually in, in the app uh, every single day using it. Got it. And then so you also have like a ser- service-oriented part of your business that where you, like, you have somebody dedicated to helping them. Can you talk about what that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So we've, we've, you know, it all kind of comes back to that theme of us being the restaurant's outsourced head of supply chain. So we have a head of supply chain ourselves. Um, 
We, uh, he's super talented. He worked at uh, Chipotle in supply chain leadership for oh, eight wow. years. And we hired him from Boston Market, where he was a senior director of supply chain. Uh, and then we have a kind of a team of advisors, folks who are either the presidents of large, uh, we have one advisor um, who's the president of a 60 unit restaurant chain uh, in Florida, um, and a couple other folks who were um, uh, VP level leadership in national leadership at Cisco, the food distributor. Wow. So you kind of have like a, uh, you know, a team of folks around us who are subject matter experts in this area who were then operationalizing that expertise around. So every restaurant that comes on, uh, we do want to make sure they have that white glove service experience. Um, we do uh, essentially, if you, you know, Matt's Deli is, is kind of signing up on, on ZD, um, the first thing we'll do before we start producing your order guide is we'll generate a template for you that is completely tailored to your restaurant's needs with all the products there. We don't ask you to do any work. We say, we're gonna just look at your order history, pull everything together and give you our best shot at it. So it's very like, we're doing the heavy lifting for you. And then uh, you kind of give us your your comments on it. Once you sign off, then we start pulling pricing and generating that order guide for you on a, on a daily basis if you, if you need it. So that kind of like a high touch environment, we know that we're dealing with people in the service business. The last thing they want to do is talk to a customer service AI bot, right? Yeah. Uh, that's just not, it just runs counter to that. Maybe in the <laughs> consumer tech world, that's fine. But in a, in a B2B world where this business is their entire livelihood, we don't take it lightly that we're asking them to pay us on a monthly basis. And we want to respect that and, and give them that, that service back that they give their customers every single day. Very cool. So why, like taking a step back, like why do you think there's been so much focus? If we think about like how many restaurant tech companies are, I can't count them. So much skewed towards front of house and the like the top of the funnel and marketing and reservations and delivery and bringing you new guests, et cetera. But there's only a small handful, I feel like, that really touch back a house and really get in, into, into the procurement. Why do you think this is the case and why is that opportunity exist? Yeah. So I think that part of it is, you know, typically tech companies are started by tech entrepreneurs, right? Mm -hmm. And people tend to solve problems that they are familiar with problems mm -hmm. that they can see, touch, feel right. Mm -hmm. Like every, you know, major, uh, tech consumer tech company out there was started because the founder had a specific pain right. point they went out and wanted to solve. Right. right? I was stoned on my couch and I wanted a che grilled cheese. Precisely. Precisely. <laughs> um, that is the founding story of DoorDash, but I think it was Pad Thai. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Um, but so when it comes to, but you know, so everyone is a restaurant consumer, right? Everyone sits down and totally. wants to go out to eat at restaurants, order food. So the pain point of a better commerce experience, a better food delivery experience, a better ordering experience mm -hmm. is felt by the masses. So people with that kind of tech entrepreneur background or the ability to raise capital and do it have probably encountered that consumer facing pain point and probably, you mm -hmm. know, if they're going to start a company around it, feel strongly about it. The amount of folks with that skill set that have encountered a back of house restaurant tech problem is far more limited, right? So yeah. then you kind of have um, a much smaller group of people that thoroughly understand the problem. Right. And, the, and then even fewer of the folks who understand the problem are, are motivated enough to want to solve right. it. It's also not the sexiest problem to solve, right? I think it's really cool to solve a problem that's not sexy because mm -hmm. that probably means that it's actually uh, needed. It's actually a problem that's worth right. solving. That's um, but, but I think uh, you know, it, it makes sense that a lot of folks can gravitate towards the consumer-facing stuff. And mm -hmm. I think that given my 
you know, experience at Snap. I yeah. feel like there's nothing sexier than like a, a consumer facing social app. So I kind of <laughs> got that out of my system. Uh, so now I'm ready to attack the uh, more back of house uh, restaurant issues. Amazing. Amazing. Love it. Really great stuff. Yeah. I was, I was about to call you on the Snapchat thing, but now you said, now it, it all makes sense. Um, let's talk about why this whole $300 billion wholesale industry is so opaque. And this idea of fairness and transparency, uh, radical supply chain transparency, what does that ultimately, what's your vision for what that looks like and what it unlocks? And like, I imagine this is going to upset a lot of the ingrained players, you know, in this maybe temporarily. <laughs> um, so I think think about any any other industry, right? Take the financial bond markets uh, back in like the seventies and eighties, right? So every uh, in you know investment bank was operating as its own independent broker dealer, and they could be selling um, you know AAA corporate bonds from different companies. And there was no single um, way for those to be transparent. So if I'm a bond trader, I could be talking to Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, et cetera, and the exact same security would have been a different price from broker dealer to broker dealer. That makes no sense. It's supply and demand. It's like it's a if it's a bond from IBM, it's a bond from IBM. It shouldn't be radically different in price. Right. And that was initially a big problem that Bloomberg came in and, and solved was create this transparency across the bond market. And now next thing you know, like at BlackRock where I used to work, right? Like everyone's on Bloomberg terminals. That's that's where that's where you know bond trading is is done kind of all in one place. And it really brought that transparency to the industry. This was 40 plus years ago, right? Then you look at retail, same thing, right? Your, your, um, you know, maybe your, your average, uh, uh, maybe mom and pop uh, leather belt store or tailor or or shoe maker or whatever else, they may not have initially wanted their prices to be compared directly with the other one down the street, right? They want to retain their customers and kind of keep their own silo. And so then, like an Amazon comes around, and initially it's like well, why do I want to put my products on Amazon, have it compared directly to everybody else? Will that hurt my business? Then eventually it's like, wait a minute, I'm opening up my customer base exponentially, right? So the food market has yet to catch up there. And like I mentioned before, when you have eight players controlling about 50% of the market share, they are not incentivized at all to be transparent on their pricing. No. And, and even, even uh, that that's putting it lightly at, 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 at a minimum. At a maximum, they have their own profitability targets for every single restaurant. So, you know, maybe if they're doing a deal with Chipotle, they have a very thin margin target on them, but because they want Chipotle's business because the volume is so high. If they're doing a deal with Tachigo's Italian restaurant, they have a pretty healthy margin target on them. So they're charging Tachigo's Italian restaurant so much more for the exact same thing. I get that some of it's economies of scale, but some of it is a game they're playing and they're trying to net a certain profit on them. I think that's very unfair because Chipotle, if anything, could actually handle an increase in price. Tachigo's Italian restaurant could go out of business due to an right. increase in price. And so, and a lot of times we've seen some behavior out in the market where, you know, one restaurant's working with the distributor and the distributor rep is telling them, there's not an online product catalog available. They have to go off a paper sheet that the rep is giving them. And then the restaurant just takes them at their word. And then we work with another restaurant that's buying from the same person, and we find out that distributor does have an online product catalog. So there's, it's, they're, they're intentionally playing this game on a super micro level to kind of retain all the information in, in one place. So 
Um, ZD wants to come in and just pull, lift the veil off of all that, go for full, just radical transparency across the board there. Because if you don't have transparency, you're not going to be able to optimize and get a handle on your costs. I think over time, it will benefit the distributors too, because the more restaurants we have on ZD, then the more distributors that lean into their relationship with us, the more visibility we're going to be able to give them for their products, a la Amazon back in the day. Um, so that kind of initial resistance of not wanting to share and be transparent is totally understandable. If I was in their shoes, I'd probably feel the same thing, but I'm not <laughs> in their shoes. And, uh, and we really have, um, we have the restaurants back, but we also want the industry to be mm. uh, healthier, more transparent and more prosperous. I think that's good for everybody. Love it. That's, and I love those analogies of, you know, bonds and retail it's, um, and, and uh, what that marketplace looks like. So, what is the, what is this like conversation look like today? Um, we're not there yet, obviously. You're you're taking a you know, crack at it. So I have a deli and I'm paying a certain price on my cream cheese, and you come in and tell me I can get that same dairy, that same cream cheese, for significant uh, discount from another distributor will I call up my existing distributor and start to talk them down or like, what does that interaction look like? Yeah. So <clears throat> let's say, so yeah. So back to Matt's deli in LA. Wexler's uh, deli. Wexler's deli. All right. Wexler's deli uh, out here mm -hmm. in LA. So <laughs> they're buying a certain type of cream cheese mm -hmm. and let's say, let's say it's Philadelphia cream cheese, right? Mm -hmm. First, there's a question of how much do they care that it's Philadelphia cream cheese versus just generic cream cheese. Maybe they care a lot that it's Philadelphia cream cheese. Maybe that's something where they're like, it, we're very particular about this. It, it's yeah. got to be Philadelphia. Or maybe they're like, cream cheese is cream cheese. We don't care, right? right. There's the, so that, that is an initial decision point right, right there that, we, that ZD gets feedback from the restaurant. That's one of the first questions we okay. ask. So then you take another step and say, okay, what distributors are they working with right now? Mm -hmm. well, let's say hypothetically, for the sake of argument, they're working, for, they're working with um, Cisco, Performance Food Group and U.S. Foods, right? And let's say they're buying all their Philadelphia cream cheese from Cisco. So the first thing we'll do is we'll scrape the data of Performance Food Group and U.S. Foods to see if they also carry the exact same type of Philadelphia cream cheese. The restaurant, Wexler's Deli, may not even been aware of the fact that maybe the other two carry the right. exact same thing. That's so crazy. first, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> because these guys carry thousands of products, right? right. It's hard. And you're to not going to go and look through a, a physical catalog, right? Maybe you're just that's just the discuss. You or, just talk to your right. rep on a weekly basis, and that's what you say, and you kind of don't really think about it, as opposed to knowing that. Wait a minute, these guys carry the exact same thing. Let's price compare. Then um, maybe Cisco is defining a case of Philadelphia cream cheese on you know three pounds a case. Cisco or U.S. Foods is is a case is defined as four pounds, another one a case right. is defined as five pounds. So now that's additional work to not only find the other product but then do unit conversions. Then we may also ask them, okay, are you open to non-Philadelphia cream cheese? So then we'll look at their product catalogs and say, oh wait, they actually carry two more brands each of cream cheese that they weren't even aware of that we could pull in and do price comparison to. Mm -hmm. So maybe if the price is the same, they'll go with Philadelphia. But if we're seeing a 20% spread, a 20% decrease in price, maybe they'll say, you know what? Actually, yeah. I'm going to go with the, the uh, you know, brand X uh, cream cheese as opposed to Philadelphia. Right. So that's, that's kind of the first one. We give that to them in a super easy to use, digestible order mm -hmm. guide on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. then you can take it a step further and say, okay, 
um, Vesta, Chef's Warehouse, Restaurant Depot, whatever else, Saladino's, all these other folks, maybe Mm -hmm. they also carry it. And because we're working with a lot of other restaurants in L.A., we yeah. have visibility into that, so we'll take a mar- an anonymized market average. We'll never share one restaurant's data with another one, but we yeah. will take anonymized market averages and say, actually, the price of Philadelphia cream cheese in this area carried by these other distributors is this. Right. So let's say that's 10% less than what you're getting. Um, at a minimum, the restaurant can go to their current distributor sales rep and ask them, say, hey, I'm seeing that um, Vesta is carrying Philadelphia cream cheese at 10% less. Like, you need to bring your price down or else I'm going to go with Vesta, right? So that's that's one point. Or they can say, you know what? Open an account with Vesta and just start buying your cheese from them. Mm. And that's a decision that we want to empower the restaurant to make. Yeah. We're not being prescriptive and telling them what, what to, to do. do We're just giving it, yeah. them information, arming them with the ability to, to do what's best for their business. Fascinating. I'd uh, love to see how this plays out in, like, a reality TV show. Yeah. Like, Hostile distributor conversation. Maybe like, that's the future uh, ZDHungry.tv collab is a reality exactly. show on, on, uh, on that. But uh, yeah, you, you probably didn't expect to talk about cream cheese for that long. But, oh, yeah. I can talk about dairy all day um, <laughs> and red sauce. Um, okay, so if I wanted, like at what point would it make sense to actually, like I can't imagine switching to another distributor just for one skew just to save 10%. Like there's probably got to be like some grouping of items that make me like it's like all my dairy or all my seafood all my you know like all my smoked meats like you know that kind of thing it depends on your product mix so um if a product is a meaningful so for example um you know if you are uh a uh fast casual fried chicken spot Right, the cost of chicken maybe over fifty percent of your into- of your menu of your sales. Yeah. So the cost of chicken, that one commodity, is right. actually worth changing suppliers right. because it's that important to you. Yeah. If it's something where cream cheese is just another thing in, in yours, then yeah, then maybe you're yeah you're you're bucketing across different ones. You're saying okay, th- this this uh, distributor can give me better prices on. Um, you, you, to your point, all da- maybe dairy and produce, and the other ones are yeah. are poultry and fish, right. and then the other ones are are right. grains and stuff. So you right. can kind of average. I can way. save this much by just like switching the, these like I, these ingredients over to exactly. this thing exactly in this grouping. <clears throat> yeah, and that's something your your guy your like customer success team can help them think through. Our product does that. Oh, your product. So, does our product. Yeah. So you'll you'll see on there, there's one view where you could see like all of your products and the price comparisons, and then if you say show me group. By group all the lowest price products by distributor, mm-hmm. and we do that too. Amazing. So you can say, okay, here here's one. So you can say, okay, today Cisco is winning on price on all these products. Another one's there. So you can kind of group those wow. orders so we can help them meet those order minimums. Wow. And it's a mobile website or is it app or it's an email? It's a, it's a, it's a web app, but it's optimized for mobile. Got it. Yeah. Okay, so let's. I want to shift the conversation to payments because this is, I think, this is, you know, payments are... All the rage. Um, Payments and, are important, and I want to. I want to understand. I think, like, I guess the, the status quo today. You're, you know, you have a lot of, I guess, weak links in this, in the sense that a lot of people are, you know, still doing things pen and paper, and we, you have to figure out how to bridge that, right? Exactly. So I'm, I'm curious, like, how you do that? Like, is it? Are you doing? Uh, what kind of tech are you using to like scan these things? Are you using? you know, mechanical Turk or call centers to, to kind of parse this data. And then longer term, what do you think this, 
invoicing, payments, you know, accounts payable, all that stuff looks like when you have the ideal kind of tech stack between all these yeah. different players. Yeah, so there's um, there's no humans involved in the parsing of our invoices, so it's fully automated there. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, um, I kind of mentioned earlier a bit how we create these different entry points of our invoices. So it could mm-hmm. be you just CC an email, it could be you take a right. photo on your phone, or it could be you upload it directly. So then it all comes in. We're working with two different OCR companies, so since mm-hmm. optical character um, recognition, yeah, yeah. recognition, and so uh, they've been great partners. So we basically are taking every invoice that we look at, and we're running the two OCR uh, platforms against it. it. We take the one with the highest confidence rating, yeah. and then we also our system learns what each invoice looks like. So even if it's the mm. jankiest invoice that has like type stuff and the lines are all messed up and whatever. Um, <laughs> the more those we have in, the more we learn what to look for. Hmm. And then we pull that into our system and then we tag it by restaurant. So if you look at, let's, so if like Wexler's Deli we're, is working with eight distributors, you're getting eight different invoices. Yeah. Uh, the OCR is not searching for um, the, you know, all the hundreds of distributors that we have access to with different mm-hmm. invoices. It's looking at those eight. So it's a lot easier to just narrow down and be just really accurate. And yeah. then because we're using two, two partners, right. um, it becomes that much more accurate. Got so it. then it all goes in the system and we, we tee it up. Um, the, the first thing we always want to do when we onboard a restaurant is connect all their vendors via ACH so we could pay them digitally. Yeah. Um, that require it's, it's completely self-serve. The vendors get sent a link. Uh-huh. Um, and they kind of click through and connect their account there. Okay. Um, we'd see about like probably 90% of the vendors we work with are completely open to that and are fine with it and prefer to get paid digitally. But then that 10% group, which <laughs> you know was probably the thorn in our side in 2022 when we were just getting started, may say, I want to receive physical checks because that's my process. There's not... Doesn't need yeah, to the need butcher it. down the road, <laughs> right? And it's and it's like, look, that's totally their prerogative yeah. to say. Again, that's like, I don't want to take this like ivory tower tech perspective. It's like, right. hey, if that's that's your deal, that's your deal, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so then, but then we don't want to put the restaurant in a position where they're like right. excited to use ZD and and nine of their ten vendors right. can get paid digitally, but that one is now disrupting this universal payments right. experience that we want to create for them. Exactly. So we have an ACH processor that sends payments digitally. And we have a check writing processor that mm-hmm. writes physical checks on their behalf. That's so then, cool. so then when the restaurant is just like, I don't have my phone with me right now, but like they're they're on their phone, right? It's it's a no, the experience is no different from there. They can pick pay through ACH. They can pick pay via check. If it pays ACH, it goes digitally. If it pays mm-hmm. through check, uh, for the restaurant it's digital, and then we cut a check and send it to um, uh, to the distributor there there Got as it. well. And so that is if you look at, you know, if you get really rigorous about you know, time management, and you think about the amount of time it takes you to write a check, right? Yeah. And and just just every little thing, right? I'm like writing the numbers, I'm and writing journaling numbers, I'm whatever, it. journaling it, all that stuff. The amount of time it takes, yeah. and you multiply that time by the number of invoices, right. by the number of checks you have per month, right. yeah. and then you multiply that time by what you're paying that employee per hour. There's a lot of money on the table you're wasting by doing something that on ZD right. you can do in seconds. Yeah. Um, and also on ZD you can do anywhere in the world, right? Because on your phone yeah right go on vacation exactly (laughs) exactly okay amazing and then what do you think it what do you think it should look like what do you where do you see this heading like everyone is just doing 
like EDI type of things where they're like all everything is flowing digitally or like what's that mix look like? I think in, you know, and with, with all the talk of uh, generative AI going on right now and all these other industries, I think mm-hmm. that what is um, where I believe the industry is heading, um, which is an area that ZD, uh, you know, I believe will be furthering in the future is a much more automated food procurement ordering and purchasing experience yeah. on the back of house, right? You have this, this closed loop of, okay, what's my inventory? <clears throat> what are the products that I, um, I need, right? How is my menu? How are my sales going against all these products? And so mm-hmm. how can I get more scientific around my inventory there? Once you kind of define that and you have this like real time view of, of your inventory, then you need to order. Well, then when I need to order, I need to do that in a way that is optimizing for price. That's where ZD is doing. That's the problem we're attacking right now, right? It's like helping you to streamline your prices in there too. So once you're able to streamline your price and save money on your food costs, then there's the act of actually ordering itself. Right now, that's a very disparate process. You're, you're going on your Cisco app, your US Foods app, your right. food, or you're calling your local person on the phone or something like yeah. that, right? So you have uh, then that aspect, then you get your invoice, and then you pay it and write a check. So yeah. think about all the time it takes to do your inventory, yeah. all the time it takes to price compare, all the time it takes to order, and all the time it takes to pay. Um, that loop, right, we believe, I believe, can be fully digital, fully yeah. automated, and I think that's where... AI can factor in eventually mm-hmm. to get smart around that entire process. Yeah. That entire loop yeah. is what ZD is looking to connect and to solve, right? right. So right now, because uh, and that kind of gets into, it's just a little bit of teaser into the future of our company, yeah. right? Is where right now you're kind of solving these two, these two components to it, right? You're solving the price optimization and comparison side of things. And then you're solving the uh, payment side of things as well, right? So those are both huge time yeah. savers. The payment side of things is something that um, there's a you know not a lot of people do, but a handful of other folks are doing as well. I believe we're doing it better. But then on the price comparison optimization right. side, nobody else is doing. Right. So by doing those two things, we kind of have this uh, you know daily active usage on payments because you're paying every single day. Yeah. Then you have your two to three times a week usage on ordering because you're only you're ordering two to three times a week, but those two to three times are critically important. Then the next step for ZD is, you know, we look to automate those other aspects of the process as well and, and connect it all, which is really exciting. Yeah. And the inventory piece. Right. Really cool. So then what about payments? Like, how do you, I guess, how do you get into, into to growing your SaaS revenue and adding adding transactions as part of that. Like, where is there an opportunity for you to potentially make a spread here? Like, I talked to uh, Restaurant 365 and, and they're making a little bit of spread on the rebates that um, people are getting back from their wholesalers um, by processing those payments. So where do you think this opportunity is for you guys on the payments? Uh, there's a big opportunity on payments. So we are... Um rolling out, you know, at the, at the beginning, I think for any early stage startup, you give something away for free and get, get yeah. a lot of tests out and stuff. We are, we'll be rolling out transaction fees this summer, mm-hmm. uh, on a per invoice basis on at the single restaurant level. It won't be huge to them, especially given all the work we're doing for them all the time we're saving mm-hmm. them. But for us from a revenue driving perspective, mm-hmm. uh, that's a very, uh, you know, exciting revenue stream to tap into. So then, you know, our, 
our revenue model will be a combination of SaaS for the yeah. order guides and transactions for for payments. Uh, for payments. Then on top of that, we uh, we built our platform in such a way where we can throttle the payment speeds pretty easily. So right now we're giving everyone uh, fast payments where mm-hmm. payments settle in zero to one business days. Um, but eventually we can adjust the transaction fee based on how fast we send the money. Right. So you can, if you don't care about your, you know, it being lasting, going three to five business days for right. your cash to settle with your vendor, that could be a much cheaper transaction Got fee. It. But if you want it to be, you know, fairly instant, instant ACH, we can do that as well. So we have that capability. Uh, then the next one is potentially, um, uh, you know, invoice factoring, invoice financing, right? So that's where we kind of put some extended payment terms on those. So if you have, let's say, net 14-day terms with a supplier and Mm -hmm. you want uh, another 90 days on top of that, uh, we can provide that as as well. So I think that that's something that's uh, that's, we've experimented with in the past, actually, and it's worked really well. So um, we plan on taking, it's probably more of a 2024 thing, but we do mm-hmm. plan on taking that to market more aggressively in the future as well. That's awesome. Yeah. Factoring and uh, PO financing. It's like, I've also heard <clears throat> a podcast with, um, Nick Kokonis from talk, talk about kind of the opposite approach where he was able to negotiate, like he's paying up front for things and then working back his covers. Cause you know, it's, it's a f- super fine dining restaurant. So they know exactly what they're going to serve. So he was able right. to get huge discounts by essentially paying up front or paying, you know, a much shorter window. Right. Um, versus exactly. like extending it by 90 days and trying to pay more. Right. Right. Exactly. And so, and, and not, but not every restaurant has that liquidity to do that. Exactly. So then it was ZD was able to step up and do that for them. And then, right. and then create our own relationship with the restaurant right. in terms there. That could be a, a yeah. great opportunity for us and them. Right, so it could go both ways and you can pocket a little bit on both sides. Right, exactly. Really fascinating. And, and, and could foundationally change like the economics, uh, the business model of a restaurant. Precisely. Really exciting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is why, you know, the unsexy problems are sometimes the sexiest. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Very cool. So, like, let's talk about the the competitors. I was just at a National Restaurant Association. That's where we met. I met up with Margin Edge, uh, Restaurant Three Sixty Five. I've also sleuthed around on Pepper and Chaco. But I'm kind of curious how you think about that landscape on both like the restaurant side and the wholesaler side, because some of those products are selling to uh, distributors, and then some of those or the wholesalers, and then some of those products are selling to restaurants, right? right? Like Pepper makes an app for every single vent for every single merch uh, right. vendor. <clears throat> vendor exactly. Yeah, so there's really two categories. It's the which platforms are selling to restaurants and which platforms are selling to the vendors, to the to the suppliers or distributors, right? So let's start with the uh, the vendors ones first. I think what Pepper's doing is awesome. I think um, they uh, there's another company called Cut and Dry based mm-hmm. in the Bay Area that's doing something similar mm-hmm. um, where they are creating digital storefronts for each distributor and mm-hmm. really the the Cisco's and US, the, you know, the, those top eight, for example, already have their product catalogs online, mm-hmm. um, but the smaller guys don't. The ones who need to get paid via physical checks don't, mm-hmm. right? That's like an entirely offline thing. So to bring their product listings online to make it easier for a company like ZD to optimize their price and to help order for yeah. them, that's great. That, I, I view that as a very complimentary synergistic relationship that ZD could potentially have with right. them because we benefit when the distributor's product catalogs are online, right? Yeah. We can still do the offline thing, 
but it's not as fun. It requires more uh, work and OCR parsing and stuff on on our side. Yeah. So now the limitations of a company companies like Pepper and, and Cut and Dry and stuff is they uh, their customer is the distributor, and so you ultimately. Um, can't really go against what's in the distributor's best interest and price comparison isn't always mm. in the distributor's best interest, right? Mm-hmm. So they can create these digital storefronts, but to just outwardly price compare, um, that's not what their customers Right, they're going to silo every app individually and they're not going to show you what their other distributors are pricing. Exactly. So that is the, that's the limitation. On, so they're doing a lot of great work, but that's the limitation there. Then on the other side... Yeah, so you have like these two kind of categories of order management and inventory management. Uh-huh. On the inventory management side, Margin Edge and Plate IQ and Restaurant 365 are really kind of the leaders yeah. in that space. Um, they're connecting the POS system. <clears throat> they are helping to manage, you know, manage par levels and really help the restaurant get a firm grasp on bringing their inventory management system to digital. I think Restaurant 365 was kind of like a the big incumbent player in there. And then kind of you played IQ and margin edge are a bit kind of more user friendly versions of restaurant mm-hmm. 365, newer, newer, mm-hmm. relatively in, in, from a ZD perspective, they're <laughs> old, but uh, from a, a grand uh, scheme of things in the industry are, are, are newer players. So that inventory management part is important too. Now I also feel that is synergistic to ZD because mm. like I mentioned that circle before right. the more intelligence we can get on where inventory's at, the right. more that could be a launch pad for us for um, optimizing price and helping them to order. Right. So I kind of view, um, you know, the, the Plate IQ Margin Edge R365 over here. Okay. And then it kind of view the uh, Peppers uh, and, and, and Cheetah to some extent and the Cut and Dry over here, right? Both are kind of on the, yeah. the opposite ends of the extreme where one is fully focused on restaurant, one's fully focused on distributor. Right. This one is purely inventory management. This one is purely kind yeah. of digital storefront. The thing about <clears throat> the inventory management platforms, mm-hmm. they're not dealing with real-time data. They're mm. dealing with historical invoices that are right. backward-looking. They don't and, get like a daily snapshot. Right, and so, so that's not uh, the, the uh, prompting the restaurant to take action, to order smarter, and mm-hmm. to, to optimize price. Is not, uh, it's not their core competency. It's right. not what they're focused on. Uh, and they, they have, you know, there's a lot of features that need to be built and perfected on the inventory yeah. management side of things, yeah. and they're very integration heavy. So there's that. Yeah. Then, <clears throat> so neither of those two kind of silos I view as competitors. I actually view them as pretty complementary to, right. to what we're doing because we're really connecting everything. Yeah. Then you have in the middle, you know, your uh, your Chocos, uh, Notch, um, kind of some of these other folks uh, okay. right there. Those, that's where it gets more interesting because those platforms really are uh, looking to bring the ordering process online. They are uh, ultimately mobile apps that allow restaurants to place their orders with distributors kind of mm-hmm. all in one place and kind of bringing that historically offline process online. Mm-hmm. Now, my view on this is that order management in and of itself mm-hmm. is not a problem that restaurants need solved. It's just a feature. Precisely. So uh, as a feature, <clears throat> not a product. Exactly. And <clears throat> it's a more streamlined way to communicate <clears throat> with their sales reps, which yeah. restaurants already know how to communicate with their sales reps. Right. Why would they need to message them on Choco? They could just text them. Right. Yeah. Also, Choco's business model yeah. is not uh, very commercially sound. 
um, because they are essentially giving their product away for free for the restaurants and they're looking to charge the distributors a fee. So of everything I just described to you, what part of the distributor would want to pay a fee to receive orders for that? There's tremendous value in what Pepper's doing because it's creating a digital storefront. But to right, pay people Choco, probably pay more on the on those digital platforms. right. So to pay Choco a fee to receive orders is is nonsensical. Right. So um, these companies, you know, <clears throat> raise a lot of money in 2021, yeah. kind of that bubble. They they grew really fast. Um, but what I believe the market actually needs is a platform like ZD to come in focus on an actual business problem, which is helping to reduce food costs and optimize price, which is a space no one else is doing using real-time data. Then from there, if we start to build out our own ordering functionalities, which we eventually will, so then the restaurant doesn't have to leave the ZD app to place an order. They can just do everything in one right. place. Like that is, we're, we're, I don't want to call it a bolt-on, but like that is something that we are layering on to solving a core problem, which is reducing, reducing food costs then we have an entire ecosystem built there. So I believe between our, you know, our collective team's uh, you know, uh, expertise of the restaurant's data issues, our team's supply chain expertise, the investors and advisors we have right there, uh, I believe even though we're the youngest company of the bunch, mm -hmm. we have a massive head start on the very specific yeah. nuanced issue that matters the most. Um, and so that's kind of the three different... Um, areas I would break down uh, the, the various yeah. players in the space is inventory management, right. digital storefront on the supply side, and then some order management in the middle. Uh, we probably cross wires the most with the order management in the middle, right. which is where we're going, but I believe we're solving a problem that actually needs to be solved. Really fascinating strategy um, and really, really, uh, yeah, learning a lot about this ecosystem just listening yeah. to this, so thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like on the inventory side, I, I see like, you know, AI and you know, predictive AI being able to, you know, solve for like out of stocks, which is like a revenue problem, and then also reduce food waste, which is a, you know, optimizing margin. Right. I think that's huge. Exactly. Exactly. And once you get that whole product suite built, you can really figure out you know, prematurely like tell restaurants to like stock up on certain things and then, or maybe have them not stock up as much on certain days so that they don't toss stuff in the garbage at the end of the week. Right. Precisely. Well, this has been really fascinating as we kind of come up towards the end of the combo. I'd love to just get your kind of future hot takes or predictions um, on, you know, how this whole crazy ecosystem you just outlined, plus all these other POS companies like kind of consolidate or, integrate or buy, you know, acquire various companies like yourself um, and kind of where you see everybody kind of moving. You know, from my vantage point, I just wrote a story about DoorDash getting into POS. They're about to launch this, um, which is pretty fascinating, going from off-prem to full 100% on-prem, um, you know, getting into the four walls and companies like Cloud Kitchen's doing the same thing with Otter getting into POS and um, all sorts of first-party ordering systems trying to bolt on uh, middleware and vice versa. So everybody's trying to be everything to everyone and build these like, you know, constellations of products that all talk together because operators don't like having ten different vendors. They don't like an overly <laughs> complicated tech stack. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. So one, I think that um, companies like I love what Cloud Kitchens is doing. Um, I think they are giving a lot of opportunity to um, entrepreneurs who want to get uh, get a start 
uh, in the restaurant space, but don't have the ability to raise, you know, one to $2 million of debt or whatever else to, to get a, a physical location in there. And it gives them the opportunity to kind of get up and running and get their name out there and start, uh, you know, working the food delivery apps in, in a local geo to build that traction before they, before they do that. A company like Cloud Kitchens is almost purely focused on the restaurant operations, consumer facing side of things. So ZD working with a company like them is incredibly complimentary because Cloud Kitchens, more than any other consumer facing company I've seen, cares deeply about the restaurant's margins and actually tries to help them with that as well. Um, so their ability to recommend a product like ZD to theirs to sit complimentary with them, uh, I think is a great opportunity. And, and ZD is looking at, at striking partnerships such as that uh, with more companies or it could be sense. a complimentary offering. Uh, I think you are going to see some consolidation in this space as well. Because quite frankly, you know, if you're walking the floor, you were walking the floor of the NRA, there's just uh, so many POS systems, it's hard to keep track of, right? And, and so, uh, and each one may have their niche, but ultimately at the end of the day, you're going to have the players like, like a toast, like an NCR Aloha. Some of these like massive players are going to have to start acquiring some of these other folks just to kind of like build that uh, bigger defensive moat um, around their business. And I think in the back of house side of things, you may see some consolidation there as well, but there's some pressing industry problems that are going to have to be solved by startups. Mm. Right. So that, that's something where I've, I've, you know, I won't name names, but I've talked to folks from some of these larger companies <clears throat> and I've asked them about, you know, what talk them about what ZD is doing and specifically I've got from them where, where uh, direct price comparison and bringing radical transparency to the industry is very needed. It's a problem that needs to be solved, yeah. but we're not willing to do that. Because it's too ballsy for a big company. Precisely, precisely. <laughs> so it's 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 outside their core competency. Yeah. One, right? Because they're because right now, especially in this like more recessionary environment we're headed into, companies don't want to allocate resources doing things that are outside their core competency. Sure. So that's one, and which I could respect, right? And then two, it it, it is destructive. You're rattling cages uh, across yeah. the industry, and it's something that a startup like us can be bold and just do it. Whereas some of these larger companies, yeah. maybe not. So uh, that creates a big opportunity for us. So I think that for the more undifferentiated offerings, like all these POS systems, I think you're going to see consolidation. Yeah. And, but then I think that for the differentiated offerings, uh, things that are pro longstanding problems yeah. that haven't been solved but need to be solved, mm -hmm. uh, those are going to come from startups because the bigger companies, the bigger incumbents yeah. aren't willing to address them. Makes sense. Yep. The innovator's dilemma. Yes, absolutely. Leveling the playing field. Love it. Yeah. Uh, Dante, this has been really fun. Uh, everything from red sauce to radical price transparency. Absolutely. And, uh, and we always have to talk about Cloud Kitchen, so I'm glad that that came up too. Yeah. Restaurateurs are listening to this. How can they, get, how can they sign up? Uh, smart computer science geeks that want to get into food tech and solve an unsexy, sexy problem. How do they f work for you? Uh, anybody wants to partner, integrate, now is your time to promote how people can uh, take action. Yeah, absolutely. So for any restaurant owner out there, just go to ZD.com, fill out uh, a demo request, and we'll reach out to you promptly. Um, we're actually launching um, fully self-serve product experience in about a month. So uh, if you're listening to this, uh, what, by the third week of July or afterwards, you can just sign up for the product directly on our website and, and awesome. go and get started immediately. If you're watching it before the third week of July, mm -hmm. uh, we'll still get you going pretty quickly. Just go to Z.com and sign up. If you're a talented 
uh, engineer, uh, product product geek out there, or just someone that wants to learn more about the technical side uh, of the restaurant industry, you could also fill out a request from on our site. You could also reach out to me directly on uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, DM me. Uh, I'm pretty responsive uh, to all that stuff, particularly when it's around uh, folks who have a shared interest uh, in the space. And then same with anyone who wants to partner with us as well. We are, uh, over the next um, month or two, going to be launching a curated list of preferred partners that ZD is working with. It's confidential who we're working with right now. Um, that will be public in the next uh, one to two months. Uh, but we do believe that our product is synergistic with a lot of companies out there. And so we're going to be launching a partner ecosystem uh, to really help the restaurants that we're working with partner with these other companies uh, to really round out their tech stack and, and streamline their entire business. And we look for companies that also share uh, our mission and share our values uh, as, and in kind of our, 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 you know, some, uh, to some extent are a little bit of a uh, disruptive troublemakers like we are <laughs> as well. So, uh, that too, um, you could also just reach out to me directly, um, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn as well. Okay. Awesome. Preferred ZD stack, the preferred ZD Precisely. plate of Precisely. the meal we're building. The preferred ZD the, meal. On the checkered, red checkered tablecloth back. Yeah. Back well, job. in our case, it may be like the crazy neon green checkered tablecloth, oh. but yeah. Oh, damn. I yeah. like it. Okay, cool. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, it's a pleasure. Of course. Thanks, man. Thanks. Really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you're curious to get a firsthand look at the cutting edge of food and tech, check out Hungry.tv. That's Hungry with No You, where you can join in on live conversations like these or sign up for the free weekly newsletter.